Hi, this is Pastor Beth from Gate City Vineyard Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, and you are listening to this week's sermon. I hope you enjoy it and that it helps you to know Jesus just a little better. Well, I'm excited to be here today, this morning, and I brought you some show and tell. Um, these are all the Bibles from my home and my office uh, that I have. We probably have a few more at home, but I didn't, I didn't bring every single one of them. But um, it's just amazing all the different Bibles we've uh, accumulated over the years. I have all kinds of translations. I got the Message Bible. I got NIV. I've got Narrated Bible, which takes you through it in order of chronological order. Uh, Serendipity Bible, which has questions for you to ask throughout it. I've got ESV down here. I've got a large print Bible for because you can't see so well. Um, I've also got this big one. I love this big one. This I found in my office, okay? So this isn't actually mine. This belongs to Gate City, but this is uh, a big old um, King James, and it's got the the old color panels, you know, they would put in old Bibles, like these beautiful illustrations, and this is like the big family Bible, right, that you'd set on a stand. I just think it's gorgeous. Um, So there's this big one here. Um, I also have all kinds of different ones that are different um, sort of different cultural areas. So we have a a First Nations version, which uh, is written more in the cultural style of uh, First Nations um, Native Americans. So it talks about God as the great spirit and the creator and things like that, using the language kind of of that culture. I have an Africa Bible with commentary. I've got the South Asia Bible with commentary. I've got the Jewish Bible down here, which is just for the Hebrew Bible for the Old Testament. Um, I've also got... Different, there's all kinds of different styles of Bibles. There's the starting place Bible. This is good if you're just starting out in your faith and it gives you all sorts of intro kind of questions. Uh, this is the athlete's Bible. So if you're athletic, in the back it has workouts. <laughs> Training, warm-ups they call them, warm-ups and um, fundamentals and competition and teamwork and it's all like Bible study, but it's put for an athlete. Um, and then... I've got Faith and Action Study Bible that you're supposed to put this all in action, so it's got action steps. i got the best children's Bible in the world, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Read it even if you're a grown-up. It's a great Bible. Um, and then I've got my three favorites. These are my personal Bibles that are really special to me. Um, they are, uh, this one I think I've shared before, this is the, the Billy Graham mass market paperback that I stole out of my dad's uh, bookcase and became a Christian. I just read it um, and started in Matthew, and they had a little thing in the back about how to become a Christian, and so I just, I just followed all the steps <laughs> and, um, and did one, two, three, four, five, and I became a Christian. So this is like a really special book for me. Um, this one's really special also. Um, this is uh, the first Bible that I got after I then got baptized. So my friend inscribed it in the front. Who She'd been praying for me and everything and said this is the best gift to give to a friend. And so she gave me this Bible. As you can see, it's all like falling apart. Like this was my first old Bible, just using it, use it, use it, use it. Fell in love with the word from this book. Um, and, um, and then this one's the Thompson Chain Reference. So does anybody remember the Thompson Chain Reference Bible? So back in the old days, okay, before there was Google, Google today, now you can type in, if I want to know what the Bible says about forgiveness, I just type in forgiveness and 25 verses come out, right? So easy now. But in the old days, we had things like a concordance, which was like an index in the back, and you had to look up the word forgiveness, and it would tell you the five verses or 10 verses or whatever that you could look up. That was a pain because you had to keep your finger in it and then look for it, and then, oh, that one was good, but what about this one? Like, it was a real hassle. So the, the Thompson chain reference gave you the first verse to start with, and then as you would read that verse, it would say, 
in the, in the margin, it would tell you, you know, for the next verse on forgiveness, it's on page 395. <laughs> and you could, like, just go forward, and then you go to that one, and then that would say the next one is on 892. And so you could just keep chaining through the Bible. I have to tell you, though, this is how I fell in love with the study of the Word. Because what I would do, and Paul would say, you're chaining again, aren't you? <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, because I'd be so excited because I'd be thinking about, I don't know, anything, um, you know, forgiveness or grace or women or animals or just what does God say about any of these topics? And I would start chaining and I would write down all the verses, you know, that would come up as I would go through it and be able to see the whole, the whole testimony of scripture. You know, we tend to take one verse and go, oh, that's what God says about it. But that's not really true. There's a whole Bible full of his words about it. And so I would go through and I would list all the, and then I would look at all this big long list of all these verses about this topic and then I would start to pray and say, Lord, show me what you really feel about this person or this idea or this topic. And so this is how I, I learned to teach. It's how I learned to study the word. It's just, just in the word, my Thompson Chain Reference Bible. So um, love, love this Bible. I have such great memories from that. Uh, as well. It's much easier to do on Google now. <laughs> you can just put it in there and I don't have to rewrite everything, which is also nice. Um, the last Bible I'll tell you about, of course, you know, if you now have your, um, your phone, you also have thousands more Bibles than this. You have access to every version, right? Every type. Um, but I just found a new one that is for the new generation, I guess, and it's called the Emoji Bible. So if all you want to do is emojis, um, they actually, this is literally true, okay? I've, I downloaded the app. So I now have the app on my phone. Um, and this one says, as you can see, because they regard not the works of the Lord, uh, nor the operation of his hands, he shall destroy them and not build them up because the Lord, because he hath heard the voice of my supplications, the Lord is my strength and my shield, and my heart trusted in him. So it goes on and on um, with my song, Will I Praise Him? So, you know, you can even get an emoji Bible if you can really only understand things with emojis. Um, you got something for everyone here. So it's just amazing all the beautiful, wonderful types of Bibles that we have access to here. It's incredible. You think about many countries in the world, you're lucky to have one Bible. And so I'm just thankful that we have access to so much and so much variety, so many interesting types of Bibles. Um, we, Paul and I went in 2018 to the Museum of the Bible, which I highly recommend. It's in Washington, D.C., and it goes through so many different things about how they translate and how they do all the things. Um, but the room that really struck me was the room with the, with the uh, languages of how many, all the, la it was a big circular room filled with all these books which represented all the languages of the world. And so if you go back, go back to the, actually, the, the last slide you just had with the description, it would describe um, that the, the brown ones were languages, were represented languages that had a full Bible translated into it. So we knew the whole language, and the whole Bible had been translated. If it was a little bit lighter, it was a language with just a New Testament translated in it. Uh, and if it was yellow, it was a language where there's no Bible translation at all. So that people group that speaks that language has no Bible in their language. And so then it showed you kind of visually, and so now you can go to the next slide, which showed you, this was about like an eighth of the room. It was a huge, huge circular room. These were all the ones that had been translated into languages, and so those languages have a Bible. But then if you go to the next one, you see, um, it should be the next slide. Um, yeah, all the yellow ones. So all these languages 
there's no Bible written in their language. All these people groups that don't have the Word of God in their own language. And so um, it's something to be praying for. If anyone has a uh, propensity to language, it'd be a beautiful thing to do in your life to learn that language and to translate the Word of God for some uh, people. So that, that was just really cool to see. And it's just amazing, you know, how much effort... Everyone, can you imagine trying to translate the whole Bible? (laughs) There's a lot of words in here and learning the languages and the idioms and the expressions and so on. And so um, it's just a beautiful thing that we have this word. Um, It's by far and away the best-selling book of all time. I mean, there's not one book that even comes even anywhere close to the number of Bibles that have been sold over the course of the world. They're still being sold. Um, And so the question is why? Why all this fuss about this book, this one book. Why would I have, you know, why would any sane person have this many copies of the same item uh, in their library? Why a whole, a whole museum devoted to it? And, you know, I want to just put forth to you today that the reason that the Bible is so important to us is because it's the very words of God. It is, we believe that it is something that he gave to us from his very heart through the writers of of these books. Um, He gave it to us for us to live and to love and to know that, know God through. It's the only book that claims to truly be the full word of God. And so um, regardless of what your own experiences with the Bible, if you've read a lot of the Bible, if you've hardly read any, regardless if you think it's literally true or if it's an errand or, or, um, you know, uh, infallible or trustworthy or inspired, and we're going to talk about all those words later, regardless of what I'm saying, if you have ever read the Bible with a heart that was looking for Jesus, was looking for God, you know that what I'm saying is true. It penetrates. It divides, you know, bone and marrow, as it says in the scripture. It divides. It, it speaks to your heart. There's no other thing that can you can read that will actually change your mood, that will speak to you, convict you, and encourage you, and that you can read the same verse in the Bible many, 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 many times over many, many years, and yet God keeps giving you something new and fresh from it, right? It's his word. That's, that's why it's from him, and so it's really remarkable. There's nothing like it, and so um, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the Bible, and having, having said all of this, um, it's true that in some traditions, the Christian traditions, there's become a little bit of an overemphasis on the Bible. I've just... Um, Recently heard some people say, some churches think that the Bible is the fourth member of the Trinity. (laughs) They revere it so much, they almost worship the words um, that are on the page. And um, I just want to say, it's not the fourth member of the Trinity, okay? There's just three three persons in the Trinity, and that's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, there is a tendency to develop a little bit of a religiosity about the Bible. How many verses did you memorize? How much of it do you know? Um, Churches, some churches have the Bible as the central part of the whole service, and that's the only thing that happens. Everything else is kind of like very short and very incidental, and everything is about the bringing of the Word. And, you know, here I am a Bible teacher, right? I love to bring you the Word, and I could go on probably twice as long as I do uh, any Sunday morning about whatever I'm talking about, but I I do believe that's an an overemphasis on the Bible. It is meant to be the word of God that points us to Jesus. We're meant to have an experience of Jesus when we get into the word, and we're meant to find him, and we worship him. The stories of the Bible, the prophecies, the history, the lineage, the teachings, they're all meant to help us find him and know him and worship him. It's all about him, all right? It's not about the words, and unless we're coming to know him and experiencing him and worshiping him more as we're reading the Bible, then we're kind of missing the point. 
Okay? It's not really, it can be an intellectual endeavor. Yes, it's interesting to learn the Bible, but that's not what it's for. And, you know, maybe some of you have experienced this. If any of you went to a secular university and took a religion class, anybody did that? Um, And it's always so fascinating. I did. And, you know, this guy, this professor is teaching this class about the Bible, probably knows more about the Bible than I do. Like, he knew a lot of history and culture, and he knew the books and all this stuff, but he didn't believe a word of it. He was, I think he was an atheist, actually. Um, and, and, And that was always such a non sequitur to me. Like, that did not make any sense because... It's a good book, yes, but the significance of this book, the reason it's been translated into all these languages, the reason it's lasted all these years is because it's the word of God. We find Jesus in them. We find God in them. There's something alive uh, in these words. It's it's anointed. It's inspired. And so um, that's why we read it. Uh, I'm going to talk a few things about the word, a few just interesting points. One is that I think God does a little play of words about the word, the word in the Bible. Um, All throughout the Old and New Testament, the written words of God, the truths about God, um, the writings of the law, the prophets, the scripture are referred to as the word. Okay, it's all over the Bible. Psalm 119 um, says it multiple times, a couple of the verses. Verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. He's talking about the, the scriptures, the law, the prophets. Um, 2 Samuel says kind of the same thing as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in it. And in the same way, the apostles when, and what Jesus said in the, and Paul's and the apostles preaching of the gospel was also considered the word, um, which we also got then written in our New Testaments, right? So that's also the word. Um, if we see in Acts 19.20, it says, in, the way, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from him, from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. And so this word of God is a written word, it's a spoken word, it's, it's, it's the word that we, the words that we read when we read in our New Testament, that's the word of God. But if you know the word of God at all, you've probably also read John 1. And what does God say in John 1? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, right? In a couple verses, he kind of makes that clear that he's talking about Jesus. And even more clear in Revelation, some of you may have forgotten about this one. This is when Jesus is coming back in power, riding on a white horse, and it says this, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. So how does this make any sense? Um... There's something very special and connected and mysterious about the the physical words on this page and the actual word of God, Jesus. They are are connected, um, and the word of God is Jesus, but the words of God that we have in our Bible is also the word of God. Um, So is the written word of God the words of God? Yes. Is Jesus himself the manifestation of the word and truth of God? Yes. Do we read the words of God in the written word in order to learn and know the word of God that is Jesus? Yes. And does the word of God who is the person Jesus accurately reflect and illustrate the word of God written in our Bibles? Yes. So it's a mystery that we don't fully understand how um, our word came to being, but it's another example of how incredibly special uh, it is that we get to read the very words of God in our Bibles. So... um, 
I love that. I think God likes to play with us a little bit. I think that's why he does plays on words. Uh, he's, he's got a bit of a sense of humor, and that's one place. So I've said already that in some Christian traditions, um, you know, there's an overemphasis on the word. And um, what has happened is a reaction, and in some other camps, other Christian traditions, is then there's kind of an underemphasis. It's kind of a reaction to this. And so we also find in the Christian world people that say, you know what, I'm led by the Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit in me, and so I'm going to be led by the Spirit. We charismatics get caught up in this just a little bit, um, that the Spirit is what is important, this inner sense of what God is telling me, um, that that's more important in a way than all these like dusty old words in the Bible. And so that's something that we can slip into as a result. Some of those traditions get really off of, of the truth of who God is, because how do we know what Jesus is like? Except by reading the word. <laughs> this is how we know about Jesus. This is how we know about God. This is how we know who he is. It is, it is, um, it is from the word of God. That's how we learn about who he is. And so there's this little tug of war, isn't there, between the spirit and the Bible, the words, the word. Um, and I like that God also knew about this. He knew we'd have trouble with this. There's two verses, which, and there's many others, but these are two that highlight a proper balance. We need to have a balance of the spirit and also of seeking the word. We want to seek the spirit, be filled with the spirit, and we want to learn from the word. We want to know more about Jesus from the word so that we can hear better from the spirit. It's all connected together. Um, the Old Testament, Isaiah 59, 21, he says, So for me, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever. So there's that emphasis on the spirit, but also my words. These are the words you're supposed to pass down to your children and your children's children after you. Um, you know, both the word and the spirit are important. And Jesus, of course, makes the same point with the women in the well, uh, women at the well. On John 4, 24, he says, God is spirit and worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And he later clarifies and later in John, he says, what's the truth? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So again, Jesus knew we were going to struggle with this tension between spirit and truth. Now, here's the thing. All of y'all lean one way or the other, Okay. We all lean to the spirit or lean to the Bible, to the truth, right? We just, we lean one way or another. A few of you out there are spirit people. You know who you are. You're people that want to hear from the spirit. That's the thing. Like, you know, that's how you, 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 know, you know you've heard only if you have an inner witness in your heart of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you're sure that this is what God's saying for me to do. You distrust people who say to you, well, that was nice, but what does the Bible say about that? That's just annoying. <laughs> you don't want to hear that. Like you, the spirit is speaking to me and that's all that matters. And so you tend to lean in that direction of wanting that. And as a result, when you come across passages in the Bible that kind of bother you a little bit because they're kind of weird and they don't know how to understand that, you're like, well, that, that doesn't resonate with my spirit, see? <laughs> so that's not what I feel Jesus is like or God is like. And so we tend to dismiss Put that stuff aside, because we're spirit people, you know? We love the spirit. And honestly speaking, you wish my sermons were shorter. I mean, she just goes on and on and on. And why doesn't she just let Charles just take over the whole thing? Like, we just worship and pray, and let's just minister. And what do we need all this boring stuff in the word? You know, and you're not saying it, but I know there's a few of you out there. You know who you are. Because to you, that's real church. Right? When we're in the spirit and the spirit's moving and all that, that's real church. The rest of it's just, you know, 
mankind thing. So you know who you are, you spirit people. But some of you are also word people. And some of you really distrust those spirit people because they're always woohoo out there doing all their thing and going on and on and words and all this stuff. And you're like, where is that in the Bible? Show me where that is in the Bible, okay? We're going to talk about that. Um, and so you really want more of the Bible. You really only trust what you hear and read in the Bible because you know that the, your emotions can be so caught up and you think it's from the Spirit, but it's really just you know what you ate that morning for breakfast or whatever. And so you just want to know what's in the Word. And so you're always pushing back to the Word. You kind of wish I would preach just a little bit longer. You know, I'm kind of lightweight. You know, she could go deeper on this stuff. Why is she so short? You know, why do we take all this time at the beginning with all this other stuff? And some of you are so feeling like that that you just don't bother to really come in for the first part. You know, you kind of slink in during the announcements uh, so that you can just get to the word. And there's someone raising their hand. There's a confession happening out here. Because all of that spirit stuff just seems kind of optional. Anybody recognize themselves in these two descriptions? Let me just say this. We, are, we in the vineyard are the radical middle in more ways than one. Comes up a lot, doesn't it? And so we need to recognize that in the vineyard, we are not just spirit people or word people, but we're both. In fact, you're losing out if you've missed out on one or the other. It's a lot like faith without works is dead, well, the spirit without the word and the word without the spirit is dead. It's not right. We'll be, all, we'll be in error if we are not grounded in the word of God and also led by the spirit. We are both in the vineyard. And so let's, let's, let's kind of be realistic about the way we lean. And let's try to lean back just a little bit, okay? Let's, if we are a spirit person, I encourage you to get in the word. Because only when you're in the word and you really know what the truth is, then you'll be able to discern if what you're hearing is from the spirit or just from what you ate that morning for breakfast. And word people, I encourage you to be led by the spirit and invite the Holy Spirit into your reading of the word. It's not just an intellectual exercise. He's speaking to you. So let him speak to you. Amen? Spirit people? Word people? Amen? Amen. Okay. And, you know, I'm going to try to preach just the right amount, and Charles will try to do worship just the right amount. I was feeling as I was thinking about this, like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know, like, this one's a little too big, and this one's a little too small, and this is, you know, this one will be just right. <laughs> um, and we always hope to try to get it just right, but you know what? It's all about Jesus, whether we're worshiping, whether we're praying, whether we're having words, whether we're listening to the word, whether we're getting, having a response to the word, it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all for him. It's all so that every one of us, spirit people and word people, can draw that much closer to him and walk with him. So that's our goal. Amen. Amen. So the title of this two-week series is The Beautiful, Baffling, Bountiful Bible. See if you can say that five times fast. Beautiful, Baffling, Bountiful Bible. Uh, it's a, a tongue twister, but um, I... I've named it that because um, the Bible truly is beautiful. It's a beautiful book. It's beautiful literature. There's poetry and wisdom and narrative artfully put together in one single whole that holds one story of God and his love for his people. Um, it's also baffling. There is so much that's hard to understand and so many different interpretations of it by people that are trying to understand it. And it's also bountiful. There's a bounty of riches in it if you will simply read it. We need to be people who read the word. Uh, the, the reading of the Bible is so, um, you know, there's so little of it in the, in the world today, especially in the Christian, in the, in the world in the United States, the Christian world in the United States, so much 
biblical illiteracy around our country. And we want to be people that know our word because it's beautiful and it's baffling and it's bountiful. There's something for each one of us. So I'm just going to very briefly talk about each one of these things. How is it beautiful? Um, it's 66 different books written over thousands of years by 40 different authors, and yet it tells one consistent story of God and how he loved his people and how he wanted them to come back to him. That's, that's the whole Bible. It's all put together, and yet somehow over all those centuries, it holds together. And words uttered hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was even born were all fulfilled in his coming. And so you can see that it helps, helps us understand the truth of the Bible to realize all these things written so long before Jesus and all fulfilled in him. It's also uh, authors from all kinds of different time periods and cultures um, writing in their own worldview, in their own place. And yet, again, it holds together into a message, a single message about God. And then there's so many types of literature there's historical narrative in here. There's biographies. There's poetry. Um, apparently, there's like a, thir a third of the Bible is poetry, which is amazing to me. So there's a lot of poetry in here. Wisdom literature, songs. There's letters. There's apocalyptic literature. There's grand speeches and dreams. There's coronations of kings. And there's stories about simple shepherds and farmers. And so it has a little something for everyone. It's so complex, so many layered. Single passages, which can have meanings that have implications over thousands of years. We saw that a little bit in our prophets, uh, in the Minor Prophets series, right? Just how things said so long ago were fulfilled then years later. Um, the cultures are varied. You could study it all the days of your life, and I think you'll never plumb to the depths of it. I think it's just there's so much there. Um, the more you learn, the more questions you have. <laughs> Uh, it's just one of those things that you, it's just, there's so much depth there. It could take a lifetime to study it and understand it. And yet, simple as you and I are, we can read something like this passage I'm about to share from Psalm 16, and your heart can be simply filled with the joy of the Lord. Let me just read to you. Hear the beauty of God's word. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my, God is, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to appreciate the beauty of God's word. Amen? It is beautiful. Now, how is the Bible baffling? Oh, let me count the ways. Um, if you're on our Bible chat with the uh, WhatsApp, man, just a few chapters, not even a few verses in, we were already like having questions and what does this mean and... Um, it's, I'm going to talk a little bit more next week about how to have how to handle verses which are hard to deal with um, and how to approach these passages that are difficult to understand. Um, and there's a lot of questions about what words to use to describe the truthfulness and trustworthiness of the Bible. We have words like, is it inerrant? Is it infallible? Is it inspired? Is it without error in the original manuscripts? Um, is it without error in theological matters only, but maybe has some errors of historical um, or scientific nature? Um, 
these words have become kind of a litmus test in certain circles, right? If you don't, if you don't say the Bible's inerrant or infallible, like, you're, you're, how are, you, are you a Christian? How can you even be a Christian? Um, and actually, there's also, it's a litmus test the other way, because sometimes people say they believe it's inerrant, and people think, wow, they're not very smart, or how do they not know the Bible? So, so there's all kinds of views about this. Um, and so you could think it's infallible, but not inerrant, and you could think it's inspired, but not infallible. Uh, and none of us really know what any of those words mean. <laughs> That's where it really comes down to. I actually spent a good amount of time trying to define the words, and it just you almost can't get a consistent definition across um, you know, anywhere of what these words mean. And it's one of the reasons I don't like to use them. Um, I'm not going to talk about do we think it's inerrant or infallible. Or, um, but, and if you want to know more about those words, we can have a separate little seminary class, and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it. It gets very detailed. Um, but... They are terms that kind of came out of the 18th and 19th centuries, uh, 19th and 20th centuries, when uh, there was a lot of pushback, actually 18th and 19th, when, no, 19th and 20th, so when there was a lot of pushback against the, um, you know, the Bible, and there was a lot of pushback from evolutionists and different people that were saying, well, the Bible then must not be true, and all this kind of stuff, and so, so Christians kind of doubled down, and they created some words to describe what they thought the Bible was, so that we'd be sure we knew it was trustworthy. And um, what I'd like to do, um, instead of using those words, is go back to what the Bible says about itself, what Jesus said about the Bible, and also what the Vineyard says. We're part of the Vineyard Association, um, and they have a statement of faith. You are not required as a member of Gate City Vineyard to adhere to actually anything in the statement of faith. You're not required. That's not a requirement. Your requirement for being a member here is that you want to grow and learn more about Jesus and you want to be part of this community. That's, that's your requirement for being a member here. But the statement of faith is what we um, generally hold to as a vineyard. And so I'm just going to put this up here. This is the vineyard statement of faith from, on the Bible. It's from the Vineyard USA website. And it says this, We believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the human authors of Holy Scripture, so that the Bible is without error in the original manuscripts. Um, that phrase, original manuscripts, means that we recognize that what we have here are not the original manuscripts, so maybe the original manuscripts might have had some slightly different you know, things in them, and now we've copied and translated, so maybe we have some slight differences. We receive the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments as our final absolute authority, the only infallible rule of life and practice. Now, I'll tell you that even among vineyard churches and pastors, there's discussion about this, this particular um, statement. Um, that some people take issue with the word infallible, again, because we don't really know what it means. We don't have a, a, a firm view of what it means. Without error is another place where there's question. But what I do know about the vineyard is that what this means is that we have a very high view of Scripture, that it, we believe it's the Word of God, and that it is what we need to know to live as Christians in this world. This is, has everything we need for life and practice as a Christian person. And so this is where we're going to always land here, that the Bible is trustworthy. That's why I preach from it. It's why I study it. I want to know what it says because that's important. That's what God's saying to us. It's what we need to know in order to know how to live for him. It's how we're going to learn to know who he is and what he's like. Um, and certainly we don't understand everything, and certainly there are many questions and many things which are difficult to understand. Um, that's all right. The funny thing is that I love when I study the scripture and study kind of history of the scripture that many things which used to be thought of as errors in the Bible have subsequently been found to be true. So long ago, they thought that King David wasn't a king because he was never mentioned in any historical documents. And so they thought that the people that wrote the Bible just made up King David until it was not all that long ago. I forget exactly the year, but in the last century or two, they found an inscription on an old thing that said King David. <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, actually, it was true. So I just always feel like when there's errors in the Bible, I take them loose, I hold them loosely. 
because you never know, we might find out that actually um, it was exactly as it said um, in that word. And so what I'd like us to do now is just look at what the Bible says about itself, because I think that's really um, where we stand, rather than which I word we use. And so let's look at what we hold to. This is what we stand on. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is God-breathed. There you go. It's inspired from, it's from God's mouth. God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1 says this, we have a prophetic message as something completely reliable. I love those words, completely reliable. And you would do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love that verse. It just gives you this sense of, yes, individuals were writing. You read the, the letter of Paul and a letter of Peter, and you can tell it's two different people writing. They have a different style. They use different words, idioms. They're, it's a different, they, they, so their, their personality ended up in the, in the books somehow, and yet they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I love that, that the Holy Spirit made sure that what was in there and what they wrote was exactly what we needed to know to follow Jesus, to know Jesus. And so I love that verse. Um, Jesus himself held, of course, the scriptures were from God and he would stand, that they would stand for all time and be obeyed. And he frequently referred to the scriptures as truthful. Uh, a couple of verses here, John 10, 35, scripture cannot be set aside, he says. And I love that. It was almost an afterthought. It was part of another phrase he was saying, but he's saying, like, scripture can't be set aside. We're never going to set aside the word of God. It's not how we live as a Christian Matthew 5, 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is Jesus speaking. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So it's going to last. It's going to last until all is completed. Uh, it's his word that we have to count on. And Luke 11, he replied, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So it's not only meant to be interesting and good and true, but we're meant to follow it, to obey it. And so the Bible is God-breathed. It's completely reliable. Given by the Spirit will last until the end of time and is to be obeyed. I think that's all we need to know. Do you agree? <laughs> that's all we need to know. Um, it's the Word of God. And so we have to remember... Um, actually, I'm going to move on because I know it's a little bit late. Uh, how is it bountiful? Let's go to the third part. How is it bountiful? Um, it's because the Bible is trustworthy, because it is his word, that every time we come to it, God is going to speak to you. He can speak to you through it. And um, there's no other book that I can read that calms me in the same way as the Bible, that centers me when I'm kind of woo, all over the place. It brings me back to, to plumb line. There's no other book that convicts me. I mean, I don't take a lot of correction from too many people, but man, the Bible can correct me. <laughs> And I feel it, and I know it, um, and he fills my heart with his presence when I read it. It's just, it's, um, it's him. And here's an interesting thing that I've experienced. I've been a Christian quite a long time, been to seminary, you know, studied a lot. I know a decent amount about the Bible. I don't know, I'm sure there's people here that know more than I do, but like, and I know a decent amount about the Bible. I've been around the church, Christian world for a long time. So I'll be getting ready to do a sermon, right? And I will get some idea from the Lord, and after praying and thinking through and whatever we are in the series. And so I'll, I'll just sit down and I'll start writing, 
And I can write for a really long time just out of what's in here in Beth's brain, right? Because I got all the, these like ideas about the Bible and Christian things. So I can write a lot of good Christian stuff. Just write, 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 write. And invariably when I do that, something starts bothering me. I start feeling like this is not holding together. Like this is just feeling scattered. Um, I'll start to feel like what I'm writing feels really shallow and insignificant, and then suddenly I'll start doubting, did I really hear that I'm supposed to preach on this thing, and this is just so boring, and like what? And all of a sudden, like a fool, okay, I will realize I haven't cracked open a Bible yet. I'm just doing it all out of Beth's ideas and Beth's thoughts about the Bible. I mean, it's not like I'm not thinking about the Bible, but, but like I'll just realize I haven't cracked it open to see what would God, now given this idea that he's given me, what does God want to point out in his word, which is his truth, what does he want to point out of that for me to bring to you? That's what I need to do. And so I'll suddenly be like, oh yeah. <laughs> and so then I open it up and I say, and then it's like chaining when I used to chain through the Bible. It's like all of a sudden I go, oh yes, oh Oh, yes. Oh, 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 yes. Uh, it's like when you are in the shallow end of the pool and suddenly you step into the deep end and you go, okay, there it is. Like, it's deep. There's much more than what I knew. There's even stuff I've never seen before. God brings up stuff I never even knew. That's what the Bible is like. It's alive. It's, it's God's presence is somehow in it and God speaks through it. It's powerful and deep and exciting and it's because it points us to Jesus. It points us to God. It brings us back to him. And so um, the last two verses I'll share with you. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And finally, and maybe more simply, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Hallelujah. So honestly, as a pastor, you know, I'm so thrilled that we have 45 people that are doing the read through the Bible and all this discussion. It's really, really fun. I'm really thankful to Paul and Andy for, for spearheading that. But even if you're not part of our read through the Bible program, you can receive from Jesus through the word of God. You just have to open it up and start reading it. One verse at a time, one verse a day, if you have to, just to start to read it. Don't Lean one way or the other, okay? Know where you lean and, and rely on the Spirit and ask Him to illuminate the Word as you're reading it. Always ask Him before you open it up, Lord, Holy Spirit, illuminate your Word to me. Appreciate its beauty and complexity. It's a gorgeous book, it's, and there's so much that we can learn about it. You're not going to understand it the first round. Um, but don't be overly bothered also by things you don't understand. Um, you're not alone. There's a lot of things we don't understand in it. Um, but I, I, I always say, if, if something was important enough, if something's not really clear in the Bible, then it probably wasn't important enough for us to need to know. <laughs> um, God made the important things pretty clear about coming to him and how we should treat one another and, and honor him. So don't get bogged down in unanswerable questions. They're interesting, and we can talk about them, but don't let that bog you down. Let your study of your Bible, above all, point you to Jesus. And he will come, and he will meet with you on these very pages as you come to him. Let's pray together. Lord God, I just thank you for your word. It is, um, it is a, it's a mystery, Lord, how uh, you speak, you spoke your word into being, and now we have like physical books, pages with words on them, and yet they are somehow the very words of God, and they point us to the word of God, Jesus. And so I just pray today that you give us a uh, 
just a holy respect for uh, these words and also a, just a deep desire to come, to come to you and to come to your word, to hear. Lord, may your word be the last word in our life, Lord. May we um, read it and learn from it and obey it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. If you would like to learn more about Gate City Vineyard, you can find out more at our website at gatecityvineyard.com. Have a wonderful and joyful day.